What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Bray, and I have Attila, the co-host, uh, I mean, Alex and his his puppy dog back there. Today, we have an exciting episode. This is Eric Alvarez. So probably about a month, month and a half ago, I posted saying, hey, we want some people who are either just starting real estate or looking to get into real estate who are interested in coming on the show. And we can talk through some, some coaching stuff and really just help with entry-level guidance and get point you in the right direction and have some fun, right? Because you know, anyone can come on here and say, I bought a house, but that's not the hard part. The hard part's getting there. And uh, I basically said, you need to impress Alex. And a couple of people commented on it. And there were like two people who directly messaged Alex. And there was one who then screenshot and sent me what he said, Alex, as well as a bio on himself. And that's Eric. And Eric sent me this and I was like, wow, that looks good. And then Alex messaged me like 30 minutes later and was like, hey, this guy needs to be on the show. And I was like, all right, cool. So I'm going to read that as, a, as his intro real quick because I think this is pretty cool. So he said, my name is Eric Alvarez, active duty Navy overseas in Japan, 21 years old, zero properties, zero real estate deals, currently in search for first rental property, reads books, watches podcasts, real estate, YouTube every day. Passions include investing, trading, personal fitness, personal finance, training for marathon events, frugal, saver and investor, net worth $150,000 to $155,000, over $120,000 invested in stocks, ETFs and liquid cash crushing college credits, track, on track to get bachelor's in the next year at 23 years old while active duty, no girlfriend because it's too fucking expensive, zero debt, next duty station, Pearl Harbor in six months, definitely going to house hack, uh, goals before the summer, 200K net worth before leaving Japan, first out-of-state rental property before leaving Japan, race in a marathon, sub three hours, and then in all caps, wanting to buy real estate for almost a year, think I'm ready, I want to buy real estate again, and I, somewhere in there, I said, reach out to Alex. And then Alex reached out to me before. Yeah. So anyway, awesome. I thought that was awesome. Uh, and that I don't know that I can give you a better bio. So I'm just going to say welcome to the show, brother. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle 1, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic 1, Oscar Mike. Really excited to be here. It's awesome. Really looking forward to this. So... I don't know where Alex wants to start off with this, but the first thing I want to ask is how how the hell you got to 150, 155k net worth as a freaking young sailor. So, pretty much just started. Um, as soon as I joined the Navy, just um, I immediately identified like this as an area of opportunity. You know, to save money, uh, zero debt, zero um, like fixed expenses. Like um, I don't have a mortgage, I don't have kids. You know, no vehicle, things like that. So. Um, I immediately took action, you know, started putting TSP, got that dialed in. I was like the first few months. Um, I believe everyone should get that done. First, like, you know, six months in, log in, you know, get your funds in and then pretty much set and forget easy. Um, and then I just uh, pretty much started putting money into a, a CD. I started with that because I wanted to lock in my money there somewhere safe while I learned about, you know, investing in stock market, real estate. So while my money's in there, then I could deploy it, you know, once it gets out, it was about like a year and a half CD. So um, about two years in, I already had like over $50,000 from also just from um, side hustles, selling things online. Um, it's like all kinds of stuff like that. And um, yeah, and I immediately started investing in the stock market, started trading, started just um, trial and error, like day trading, all, all that stuff. And then I really got into options trading. And then so... I try not to keep as much money in savings right now because I feel like as a military, um, active duty, we don't really need, we, we have the luxury where we're going to get paid every two weeks, no matter what. So we have the opportunity to take risks and also invest everything we got. And um, ever since then, you know, I've been very frugal and just um, saving, investing everything. And um, yeah, I set goals like every year I want to reach this net worth, this net worth. And then, um, I'm ready to get into real estate now. I want to start um, first, like, you know, get knowledgeable, see the different um, areas of opportunity I can use. And yeah, it's pretty much been going on from there. 
Dude, you are all enthusiasm, but no fun at all. <laughs> um, your peers don't have any money at all. Never mind 50,000 to spend. So congratulations. Also, there's something in there. I like that you took the money and put it into a CD, which is actually, as you probably know now, a lousy investment, but mega safe. So yeah. it's like, okay, you said, okay, I got to start something. So let me start with something that I can't really lose at while I learn. So I really like that mentality. Most people, most people are like lottery winners. They have no plan at all. Then the money all hits them at once. Then they still don't learn. Then in three years, they're broke. You were like, let me save it first. Then I'll slowly figure out what to do. Then exactly. I'll double down. Yeah. It's like pretty much coming up with a plan and just getting um something where I could balance risk tolerance and then balance with um you know something I, I know what I'm doing with. I love how you go from bonds or uh, CDs, no risk, to options, probably the riskiest thing you can do in stocks. Right. Yeah. That's uh, the 21-year-old uh, right there. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's um, because once I develop a strategy and develop and you know identify the areas of risk I have, then I know how to deploy my money effectively where... I'm not going to go into um, something where I could lose it all and just um, something where I determine like, you know, the risk I'm willing to take. All right. Before I, before I jump into my next point here, I am going to say this for anyone who's listening to this on audio only the chirp, since somebody is going to be the jerk who comments on it, the man is living in the barracks. That's yeah. your government <laughs> tax dollars at work. All right. There yeah. ain't no fixing it. So deal with it. Uh, yeah. But what I was going to say is I think, so while I completely agree with Alex that options is the riskiest or one of the riskiest things you can do in the stock market. I don't know that there's a better position to be in than 21 years old. And with a solid, like if you're going to do options, right? Like, and you're going to assume risk and in investing, like being young and having money saved and in a CD or like it's it, depending on, I mean, I wouldn't put a hundred percent of your net worth into options, but if you're putting a small piece of it in there and you're taking a little bit of risk there, but you kind of learn it as you go, like, I mean, I'd rather be 21 years old and doing that than, I mean, what, when I was 21 years old in Japan, the money you're spending on options went to beer. So, you know, yeah. I mean, arguably so options, with options, David is um, the stocks I currently have right now. What I do, I still covered calls. So you know, I have um, hundred shares in this, hundred shares in that, and then every week I sell covered calls on it. So it's pretty much just putting your putting your shares for sale. So receiving a premium every week, and I just do that every week, every two weeks. So I'm not buying uh, options, gotcha. I'm not buying contracts. I'm selling my pretty much um, earning like an interest in my in my stocks. So that's what I've been doing for I like it on time. So yeah, when I say options, that's pretty much probably 90% of what I do. Just very passive and very um very uh like safe to me. So a lot of people buy their first house with a lot less capital. You say you want to buy real estate. What's been your hurdles? So as of right now, I'm trying to do it out of state overseas. And um, so I identified two ways I could do this. I could either wait till I go to Hawaii. So like a house sack over there. I'll be there in about four months, three months. Um, as of right now, I've been trying to do it, like I said, out of state in Florida. So like getting a 20% down conventional loan, like doing one of those. And then um, I was what I was going to do for my stock account. I want to see what you guys think about this. So out of my brokerage account, I wanted to pull out equity, borrow equity from that. Instead of getting the money out, taking the cash out and putting it on a down payment, Instead, pretty much getting like a line of credit and then borrowing for that down payment to buy something like in Florida, for instance. And um, I was able to get my parents to uh, co-borrow, like be as a co-borrower, sign as co-borrower to uh, get a better rate. And um, just right now, you know, I realize how hot the market is right now and just things are flying off the MLS. And then so- What are you going to borrow against? One of my uh, brokerage accounts. I'm not a fan where it's um where I like keep all my stocks and then just like use that money towards the down payment rather than getting that money and taking it out and then like locking it up into a uh into a property um dude you know you said it's so funny you say where the where the market's so hot 
And you're like, let me go get a bunch of debt to buy at the top of the market and stretch. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't- it's exciting right now. It's the same thing as stocks. People are really excited about stocks right now. You know, it's basically doesn't look like it can go anything but up. Um, but it's, you know, when the, how do I say it? Mania seems really obvious in retrospect, but right now it's hard to say what's uh, prudent in investing because like you said, everybody's so excited. The market's up. A lot of people are making a lot of money. Um, but for me to tell you to go out and um, yeah, you're in a position to go out to take a lot of risk right now. That is true. But there are prudent risks. The, the game is also very long, you know? So it's like, hey, you don't have to take some of those. Um, you don't have to go off and get debt against stocks, which I believe are already overpriced to go off and buy a house that's overpriced um at the top of the market when you're and you're going to pay over what they you're going to pay over retail anyway yep. yeah i've been seeing that as like a trend where things are like always selling above asking price above market like almost everything right now and things that are listed above or below market are just yeah they're like flying off most or not yeah so yeah That's something I'll try to avoid you know overpaying for something and then um <laughs> Much, bro, I'm, you're I'm with no equity, pretty much. So, like, what, bro, Alex? you're an investor. The whole bit, the whole point is to buy things underpriced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The whole point is to buy things at a discount, paying over retail. Now, again, it's one of those things where it's like a lot of people right now are paying over retail because they want to be in the game, but people wanted to be in the game super bad in 2006 to, as well, in 2007, and it bit them. Now, I'm not saying that's where we are. I'm just saying, look, when you're when you're sitting here telling me I'm going to take out debt to go overpay, I'm going to take out debt against an asset that's probably overpriced to go put down as a first mortgage, essentially, uh, um, or essentially a second mortgage for another asset that's overpriced. Yeah, I would. It's not advice that. I can give you, with, and still be a good friend. Yeah. I would. I I agree with Alex. Even if you have to pay a little bit of a hit to pull the cash out of the market. I would do that over borrowing against your portfolio because yeah. Okay. So the gains we've seen over the last year are awesome. Right. And so there is definitely the FOMO, the fear of missing outside where if you, if you pull the loan and then you have to repay that amount, but the market shoots up, then great. But what if, right. There's that. What if you pull, you borrow against your stock portfolio and we see a 40% drop and now you're essentially paying yourself back at a loss it's just not a spot you want to be in. I don't think that's a risk. Even even in a market where it looks like the stock market is going to keep going crazy, that's not a risk I would take. I wouldn't I wouldn't borrow against and I tell people this all the time. People want to take money out of the thrift savings plan and borrow it to buy a property and that's just not something that I I don't know. I wouldn't do it. Mm. So like in the you have, market right you have now. liquidity. Like if you have the liquidity, stick with the liquidity, make it work for you. Right. Don't add uh, debt because you're afraid of you're not even really spending your cash. Right. You're spending stocks. So, yeah, it's uh, you're, you're putting, it's a you put a lot of it's, you're putting leverage on it hard. Yeah. So you I, have the capital. So, yeah. <laughs> so do you think you, you'd recommend to like um, actually use the money rather than borrow yeah. for a down payment like to 100 percent, like pull out the cash and then not not really worry about too much of like, you know, tying up the money into the property, you know, waiting, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, so in a real, in a, in a perfect world, what you do is you'd go find a price, an asset that's underpriced. So you wouldn't, you're just talking about buying your equity, right? Like, again, the whole point of investing is to create value, is to create value out of thin air. And you say, I'm going to buy this property that's underpriced. I'm going to take the risk to put the rehab into it. It's going to be worth more than I, you know, put into it. And I create value out of thin air. And so like when you don't do that, if you're just paying retail and, and putting down, down payment, you're just paying for retail, you're just paying cash for retail price. Um, right. So the, in an ideal world, what you do is you go find a, you'd go find an underpriced asset. And then you might not have to come out of, you know, if you can do it right, if you can own the asset at 80% of its value, you don't have to come out of pocket anything for the, for the loan. So like what you need to do is convert your talent into that 20% instead of just buying it with cash. Does that make sense? If you're like, hey, look, just go grind out, go find a better deal, yeah. get some you know, hard or private money to bridge loan rehab it, like you would a flip, and then put a 20% conventional mortgage on it. 
Like that's an, that's an ideal thing for you to do. And I know, and I know it can be, I don't know the market, but I assume yeah, there's somebody doing that in your market in every market for sure. So that's, you can buy the equity, but again, it's like, dude, the, the point that we're trying to make here, the point you're doing with your stock is like find undervalued assets that you think are, that are going to go up in value in the future. Right. That makes sense. But um, and, and yeah, cool just, thing that's probably one of the challenges I've been um, like coming across with finding, finding something maybe off market, something, you know, below market value. So, but no, I completely agree with you. That's something where I should like put more of my focus towards. What I would do for that. And granted, you're going to pay a little bit more than you would if you find the deals yourself, which I'm all for finding deals yourself, but that's not always a simple setup to create. So uh, I would take whatever your market is in Florida and I would go onto Google and type in sell my home fast, uh, you know, and random things like that. Like I need to sell my house, sell my home fast, uh, whatever. And you'll find all the wholesale wholesaler websites in the area and get on their buyers list. It, they're not always the best deals in the world, right? So you got to vet them. You got to have a team, but at least it's something other than just the MLS. So there's a chance to get a better discount on it. Um, or if you know, some, like, is it, it, I guess the question is, is the area in Florida you're looking at, is it somewhere you're, is it where you're from? Is it like, do you have, do you know people there? Oh, so I'm originally from uh, Los Angeles, California. Okay. So I identified Florida as a side. market to, to invest in because I did meet some realtors there. I did meet uh, some property management there, meet some lenders there. So I built some good connections out there. And then also things such as, you know, it's way cheaper from California. It's, um, identified as a landlord friendly state. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it's somewhere where I wouldn't mind to relocate to and somewhere I wouldn't mind to, you know, visit often. Well, those are all the right reasons. So that's, Real estate is a much less liquid asset class than stocks. So it's going to take you more like for stocks, you can go to your app and you can just, if you think the stock's underpriced as is, you can just buy it. Or like you said, you can do, you know, you can buy, calls and all sorts of other ways. But for the most part, it's it's highly liquid. So you can get it in and out real quick. Yep. With real estate, it's highly illiquid. So it takes you a whole bunch of people. And so the value is in the complexity. And so what I think you're probably having this problem with, you're like, well, I'm going around, I'm looking for a property. And it's like, yeah, the, it's hard to find one that's underpriced. And it's like, it's not, it is hard to find it when you're looking at it from across the country. And you know, some people there, but not many. And so what David's telling you is like, look, start networking with local wholesalers start going through their deals, betting their deals, building those relationships. It's way harder than buying stocks. A stock is like walking into a grocery store and being like, there's, I want this one. It's right here. Yeah. A house is like, dude, there's no target for houses. Like you got to go, you got to go kind of, um, it's a ground game. So I think you, de I definitely know you have the skills to do it, but that's definitely something that it's easier to just go off on MLS, buy something for 20% and put it down. But dude, you're an investor. Your job is to go put the, the sweat equity into finding the value. Right. Yep. Um, that, make, that makes perfect sense. That's something I should like put my focus more towards. Yeah. Finding finding deals off market or or even with a wholesaler where it's still, you know, off market and there's still a margin in there. Because a good wholesaler knows that they have to leave you some juice on the deal. Otherwise, you're never going to come back. Um, so finding those off market deals, I mean, that's a total game changer, even in a hot market. I mean, I'm you know, I've been able to get in some deals for 50% uh, after repair value all in this year, right? And that's, people are saying, oh, we're paying twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 over asking price. I'm like, well, uh, I'm not. So, I mean, you know, it, not to say that, it, I think it, I think it kind of depends, right? So if you were to pay full retail on a building that you were house hacking and the rent covered all of your living expenses and you were able to live for absolutely free in the house, like, there's an argument to be made for that because you're then able to save X amount of dollars a month that you would be spending on housing anyway. Um, and, you know, as long as it's in a good neighborhood where it's going to appreciate, it's going to stay rented, you know, you're near whatever, whatever that case may be. Like there's an argument for that. There's not an argument for buying full retail on a single family house where you have no equity or very little equity and you're not even saving on expenses or, or whatever you're, you know, and so that's where I kind of get scared seeing some people pay, you know, I've seen some people pay like forty, fifty thousand dollars over asking price out here in San Diego for a house that they're going to rent, but they're you know losing money on it monthly and hoping it goes up in value, and that's that's a scary move. Got it. The thing that everybody learned from the two thousand and seven collapse, the thing that everybody learned in real estate investing was buy for cash flow, and in the last 20, 24 months, it really seems like people have forgotten. Now they're buying for things like like David just said, like net worth return 
they're like, well, now I'm saving on rent. So that counts towards, uh, they do funky math to make it sound better. So deals are definitely harder to find. I, you're 100% running into the same problem that everybody else is running. Anybody who's getting easy deals these days has either like some super really good source that they lucked out on, or they don't have good deals and they just, <laughs> they're buying stuff up at retail, which is super common. And not to say that it can't work because sometimes you just need to deploy capital, but you are not in a position where you have excess capital you need to deploy. Like you have the time to take, take your time and like learn the local market buy right. Um, yeah, I think you're doing the right idea. I think um, if you run into the opportunity of how to pay for the place, it's like, it's not as hard as you, th- it's not, hard the idea isn't harder like create the 20 percent instead of paying for it the, putting into action is definitely harder okay and then um yeah also just um becoming knowledgeable just with the fundamentals and the basics you know i, I quickly realize how um how important that is and just um something where i can never stop doing just you know continuously learning and reading more and just you know trying to build my knowledge you know towards towards this stuff pretty much. But um, what do you think would be the best way that, you know, in my position right now, like if I, if I would ask you, Alex, like if you're in my position right now, like, you know, 21 overseas right now with um, some capital, what would be the steps that you would take? Like what would be your things you do today? to like, you know, if you want to get in real estate, Dude, right you're, now? you're so much farther ahead of where I was at 21. I feel like an asshole answering that question. <laughs> I, know. I, I got um, enough. I have to know. So let me say this, like um, my personality is, and it's been, it was, it's actually, this is a harder problem to have for um, the young people. Like I'm a good daydreamer and I'm not actually a good, I'm not a good worker. So when I was younger, it's hard to monetize that. It gets easier as you get older, but it's hard to monetize that. So I don't know which way you are, but um, I would, I would have spent more time really looking at what's going to happen in the future and start getting ahead of those things as much as possible. So like I got into real estate because it solved kind of a short-term problem, which was important to me. Cash flow was a really important problem. But now that I kind of have that, that problem solved, now I look at it like, mm, I'm going to live another at least 30 years active. Like what's going to be popular in 30 years that I can, that other people aren't looking at that I can get ahead. And so I don't know. So here's the thing, right? You have a really good um, base already. So your safety net is like, um, is really strong. What you said earlier about, Hey, the army lets me like perfectly, I can live off this and it's risk-free. This is Nassim Taleb's barbell strategy to a T. He goes, you can live on the low risk lifestyle, right? You live minimalist. You live with a low um, cost and it's risk-free and then everything else you make small bets for unlimited upside, but high risk. And so you're like, I only need a few of these to pay off to really go big. And so I would think about that as a life strategy, just a really good life strategy, like live light, learn how to live on a low risk return, like a bond. If you can live on a bond on a 2% bond, it's risk-free. If you can live on on the cash flow of a 2% bond, everything else invested into the unlimited upside. So like, I don't know what your tech background is, but um, dude, bit, uh, blockchain, Bitcoin, and that kind of stuff are going to do well. Technology like AI and those things are going to do well. I don't know how much you, if you're in those fields or if you just want to invest in those fields. Um, one of the biggest things that I recommend people to do is to start building content, 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 video, writing, podcasts, at least one of them, if not two. That's one of those things where it's like, dude, that's people are actually sleeping on content, even though everybody makes bullshit TikToks and Instagram stories and nonsense. Like they're David's been really good about doing it. His content is terrible, but his marketing strategy is sick. Right. I think I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> so my point is, my point is in the future, you're gonna need both. You're gonna need a good marketing strategy, but you're gonna need to develop an online brand and per- and that means online personality. And so for you, I would war- I would focus on. I would really look at the future way more than your peers are looking. Like what's going to happen in 30 years for you? Like what's your life going to be like? You know what I mean? And what's going to be popular and like try to weed out what, you know, the nonsense of what people think is like really try to think clearly about what's going to happen in 30 years. Right. Like realistically, if you extrapolate. Okay. So that, and then 
content. Those are the two things that I would, that's how I would look at it. I don't know if that's helpful. Maybe a little abstract. I was going to say that was a very long answer for saying I've got nothing. No, I'm just kidding. There was a lot of actually really good advice in there um, that I would never have thought of at that age for sure. So definitely looking towards the future is a big one. And I'm doing the same. I mean, Alex just talked about it, but like I have two or three little tiny portfolios that aren't real estate that I just gamble 100, 200 bucks out of every paycheck on something. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to leave that in there and we'll see what happens over the long haul. And just, you know, if, if, if one or two of them pay off, it'll be very worth my time. And if yep. they don't like it's 100, 200 bucks here and there. So I like that. Uh, as far as actually getting into the real estate game, right? Um, I think you're very on the right track with the fact that you've found people in Florida, right? You've found an area that you might want to live that fits your goals. That seems like a good area. You found an agent, you found lenders, you found, uh, you mentioned someone else. I can't think of it. There you go. Property managers. Um, so you're, you're freaking on a roll as like, that is more than a lot of people. People get stuck on choosing a market a ton. So it's clear that you're an action taker. It's clear that you've thought a lot of this through. I would figure out Two, two things probably for that market. One, I would find every wholesaler I possibly can and get on their buyers list so that when they send a deal, you see it. So you can compare that to the MLS side. That's something I haven't done at all. So Yeah, absolutely do that. Two, I would find every investor meetup that you can find because for one thing, most of them are meeting online right now. So you can sit in on their Zoom calls or whatever. And for two, they're going to have some deals pop up. They're going to have some pulse on the market, right? you're going to be able to hear through those calls Are these guys saying, wow, there's all these great opportunities. This part of town is growing. Like this is, it's going this way, like whatever. Or they're saying, oh man, I'm going to sit, sit out for a little while because these prices have gone berserk and it's too much for me. Right. Because the reality is the market's very hot all across the nation, but in some places it probably seems ridiculous. And in other places it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like this totally makes like in San Diego County, as crazy as San Diego County is right now, the reason it's so hot is because there is one month's inventory and they normally run like a five to six month inventory in San Diego County. There were less than 600 homes on the market for under a million dollars like this week, right? That, that is fewer homes than in my market of 150,000 normally. And this is the entire County of San Diego. So I think it's reasonable to say, okay, yeah, San Diego's crazy right now, but there's still a ton of leg room to run. So I, I would figure out like, Get your pulse on the market specific, what the investor sentiment is. Is the market overpriced? Is the market growing? Like, why is it crazy? And I would get all, get a hold of all those wholesalers and I would get in that groove and around those investors. And you you never know, just getting to know those people, there's a good chance that there will be some opportunities for you to invest yeah. with some of those people that just come out of that organically. So that, that's what I would be doing. I would be just building those relationships even more and focusing on learning the market and where it's at and finding those people who find deals. Yeah. Maybe they find one and they just don't have the time to take it down. And they like, I literally bought a house for $12,000 last week. And the lady, like, the, this is how I got across it. I got a hold of a guy asking him if he wanted to sell a house. And he was like, no, I don't want to sell that house. He goes, oh, but my friend has a house that she was going to sell me for 12 grand. And it's a heck of a deal. But I just, I've got another project going and I just don't want two projects. And like literally sold me, like, I was like, oh, can I get her number? Called her. She's like, yeah, I'll sell it to you for 12,000. And I, I gave it to someone for 35, 24 hours after I bought it. And it was literally, the guy was just like, I don't have time. It was a, I mean, it was a steal of a deal. So you never know if you build those relationships and you get in someone's mind as someone that they think of who's looking for a deal, people will give you a good deal if they know you and like people genuinely want to help you out or, you know, you'll find some opportunities. So anyway, that, that'd be what I would do. Yeah. Be doing. So that's another thing. Like once I get back to the States or just even Hawaii, um, I'm really excited to be able to meet, you know, people in person, you know, like you said, attend those meetups, um, network with people. That's like, um, like something Alex said in the last podcast with, uh, I think farmer. I saw that one the other day where, um, it's, uh, what did Alex say? Where, like the hardest Something brilliant, work, obviously. Yeah, it's like the hardest thing to do at work right now is to um, where I'm not really surrounded around like-minded people. So that's like one of like, you know, the challenges. And um, that's one thing where I'm really excited to once I get to Hawaii, you know, it's, it's considered United States, you know, it's, I'm going to be able to like network with people, like I said, and, um, you know, attend as many meetups as I could. And um, that's what I plan on doing. Like also if I do decide to get out of the Navy, um, 
you know, just build my network, you know, as time goes. Woo! We'll be back with the show in just a minute, but I wanted to take a brief second and say that, look, you are already obviously investing in yourself by listening to this podcast. But if you can't figure out how to get past all that daunting crap that you just don't know how to sort through and you're trying to get started in real estate investing and you're just stuck... I mean, it happens to all of us. It's daunting. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know everything there is to know, and you don't know really where to find all the information. So that is why I created the Real Estate Investing for Beginners Zero to One course, which is solely designed to get you from, I want to invest in real estate to, holy crap, I have a rental and it's cash flowing. And this course is not going to be anything super complicated that you won't be able to understand. It is just designed to teach you how to build a team, find investments, finance investments, conduct due diligence, close on the investment, and then operate it so that you can enter the real estate investing world smoothly. So if that sounds like something that interests you, definitely check out the link below. And it's cheap as hell right now. Yeah, I got all kinds Dude, of connections. People are a really good wife. investment. So once you get around people that keep you motivated, keep you accountable, yeah. um, keep you inspired, and then, you know, they have all the money and all the deals and all the, you know, they have all that too. So you can, uh, that's, people are a really good investment. So I love that. And you can do a lot of it online, but I, I think it's gonna be a long time before the, before virtual conversations replace human, real human interaction. I think it's gonna be a long oh, yeah. time. Yeah. Human, in, human uh, in person really makes a difference. So that's smart. I mean, it sucks that you're overseas in that way, but three months. Yeah. You'd be, you'd be in the zone. Yeah, be out of here soon. All right, I'm going to pivot because <laughs> Alex likes that word. I was going to say shift, but Alex prefers pivot. You, right before we started recording, uh, you were asking also about you're moving to Hawaii, thinking about buying there. And, and obviously, you're in kind of a weird spot because uh, you don't have BAH yet. And we just didn't, you listen to Paul Farmer, so it is possible to buy a house without BAH. However, a Hawaii market's a little bit different than a Kansas City market or a Kansas market if you're talking price point without having a housing allowance. However, you had some very good questions about the VA loan and what you need to be looking for. And I thought we would just have that conversation on this so it would help other people as well. So uh, fire away. Yeah, so it's pretty much um, ways I could add on top of my income where to have me qualify for more house. So pretty much like my Navy pay and other ways I can you know, add on top of that, that will help me qualify because um, I asked if I could co-borrow, but they told me that it would have to be with a veteran in order to put zero, to get to 0% down. And, um, you know, I was um, told to, you know, use a zero down, you know, try not to put any money, like, you know, get like a, like a 10% mortgage or something like that. Um, so yeah, just different ways I could add on top of my income where also like if it feels like a duplex, if I could use the rent, from the other unit as income to help qualify. Like um, if that would be possible. Yes. You probably can't use the income from the other side at the time of purchase. Mm. Can you David? Yeah. 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 So you can use 75% of the gross rental income from the, uh, if you, what, the, what if you what have no rental is? income before now? Yeah. So the, uh, God, I got to remember the exact wording, but the VA guidelines are actually pretty vague. The VA guidelines are very vague in a lot of areas. Um, but in essence, you have to be like, I can't remember the exact word, but like high likelihood of success as a landlord is I think how it's worded. And so there's two things, right? Depending on the bank you go through, some banks will say that they want you to hire a property manager so that you can utilize their experience in order to qualify with 75% down or 75% of the gross rental income. But some banks uh, don't care as long as you seem like a competent human being. And I, and I know this just because uh, my roommate's a VA lender out here in California, and I've seen him uh, use the income from other units for people who've never owned a home before uh, successfully a few different times. So uh, it depends on the lender you're going through. They may have their own overlays, but for the VA guidelines, it doesn't matter uh, it's, and, and if it is one of those lenders that have a problem, your go, your reach around is probably to just say, Hey, uh, I'm going to hire this property manager and they have experience. So also I would, again, you're focused on like how you can maximize the amount of debt you can get rather than like, dude, you have cash. You're, you're making, you're good at making cash. Like I would be, not be so afraid to spend a little of it. You know, yeah. if you have to go with an FHA loan and for spend three and a half percent, you're fine. That you was know, my first. Uh, the VA loan is good, but don't, 
you're like, how can I stretch my income to buy more house and then ha- and then buy zero percent so I have no equity, right? It's you're taking. I think you're taking. You're stretching to take unnecessary risk. Right, makes yeah. sense. And um, so like, let's say, so my plan was to um, let's say I get the house. Let's say I get a property in Hawaii, and um, you know, I'm gonna be there for two years, and then what I was thinking I can do is, you know, after owning that property for a year, you know, owner occupied, gonna be in it. If I could pull out equity from that property, you know, let's say it goes up 2%, 3%, you know, on a Hawaiian property, you know, it's, I feel like that would be, you know, enough for another down payment. I want to see what you guys think about that. Not so, if you go zero down. Yeah. So again, you're, 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 you're like, here's what you're saying. I'm going to buy this property at hundred percent of its value. And then in a year, I'm going to take money out. But if you take money out, um, even if they do another 0% loan, like, yeah, you're gonna have to go up even 10% because it's going to cost you money for each loan. So that thing's gonna have to go up 10% a year to make it worth it. W- will it go up 10%? Maybe. But again, now you're doing the exact same thing where you're like, how can I stretch out this equity at the top in this hot market? How can I stretch this equity out to its absolute limit just to go buy something else all debt? Or yeah. we're pretty close, right? I mean, I think, um, dude, you're young. You're super ambitious, obviously. You're mega enthusiastic, which I love, but you're not patient. And you're not the only 21-year-old who is not patient. And I get it. But debt is like you're seeing only the upsides and you're not feeling the pain of its downsides. So you don't respect the pain. And you're like, well, I'm young, so I can lose it. And it's like, yeah, but also you don't fucking have to lose it. Like you could, Screw you know, wait a year and make some cash and spend your cash. You know what I mean? And be a little prudent. Like there's a mix here between going off and stretching to spend all debt at all possible cost. And hey, just take it. It might take a year longer than you think. Make some cash. Yeah, there, there's absolutely an argument to be made for super high leverage because leverage can absolutely help you build wealth. However, the downside that people seem to be forgetting these days is, right, you, you never want to take the risk of ruin. So the last thing you want is to buy, a, yeah, to buy a freaking house and then get a foreclosure. And then now you can't get a loan for the next seven years, right, because no lender is going to touch you. So that's not worth it. Um, then you got to buy a house as cash, right? So, yeah, 0% down on the VA loan is incredible. And there are some instances where it is phenomenal. But the thing is, you don't have to be keyhole that, right? The reason the 0% down is a thing is that a lot of veterans don't have the money. And it was designed to help service members when they came back from World War II get into a home so they could compete with the civilian counterparts who'd been at home working, saving money, whatever. They could come in and even if they hadn't saved money while they're serving, they could buy a house, right? So the VA loan is great for getting you in the door. But if you have the money... There's nothing wrong with putting money into a house, right? I've, I just, I paid 15% down on a house uh, six months ago. It was a great deal. I could have gone lower and I just, whatever. Like if the market drops, I now have an even bigger equity cushion. So I'm A, my cash flow is a little bit higher and B, if the market goes down, I'm still not underwater. So there's, there's upsides and downsides to everything, right? And everybody and their mother is screaming online about how incredibly low interest rates are right now and how you have to go zero down and leverage it. And I agree to an extent, but if you go 80%, loan to value and you still get that incredible interest rate, you're still getting all those benefits, but you also have a cushion in case things turn. So what Alex is saying essentially is, yeah, take some risk, but just don't don't push it so far that you're taking one home and maxing it out to max out another home to max out another home. And then if you fail to make this mortgage payment, now you're trying to, you don't want to create some kind of, you just, you just don't want to create a house of cards that won't stand, if that makes sense. So there's a, I'm all for and 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 take all this with a grain of salt. My first like 15 units, I didn't pay more than six percent down. I was as low in low leverage or or high leverage, low down percent down payment as humanly possible. But I had a negative net worth. I had no fucking money, <laughs> so there was no way I was putting 20 percent down. It was either buy this house as is for as you know whatever or 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 not and. I don't see anything wrong with putting a down payment into a property because what you what you don't people think of it as you're losing the money, but the reality is you're just putting it into equity. It's basically just another way of saving money. And yeah. arguably, if appreciation stays pace, it's a better way to save money than than to put it in the savings account. So uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, David, in, in my position right now, what do you think would be the best like approach 
to like, you know, begin this, like to continue looking back in the States or to just wait until I get to Hawaii. So, so I could do like, you know, the house hack or, you know, if opportunity comes, shows itself in, you know, let's say Florida and jump on it. What do you think would be the best like approach? Like put my focus towards, should I just like wait and so I get to Hawaii or. I don't think you have to pick one. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking at both and seeing what option, keeping your options open. I think if, if Florida is what you're thinking for a long-term market, then focus on those relationships and building that network and building into that being a long-term play. And then I think if Hawaii comes along with a good deal, awesome. And if not, I mean, if you're living in the barracks in Hawaii, right, your downside is absolutely nothing. Um, But if you're, if you're, if you come across a solid deal, right. And you could, they're out there. I mean, you could potentially, depending on what you're looking for, right. You could do the whole duplex thing if you can get in for the purchase price. But I mean, if you're, you're young, you want to enjoy life a little bit. Like there's nothing that says you can't buy a condo. You find one that's Airbnb approved in Waikiki and then you can Airbnb a bedroom to help offset. Or you could, even if you're, you know, not to say that you should buy and I'm not telling, I mean, you could, if you found a place that worked in Hawaii where you could buy and just Airbnb the entire thing, as long as it's zoned correctly, like there's opportunities in both areas. I think the the main thing I would be focusing on would be the relationships and the network and the marketing in Florida, which is your ideal long-term play that you're already starting to foster. And then I would just keep my eyes open. If something comes along, like I would, I mean, you know, Kina, so I would say like, Hey, these are like the three or four things that I'm really looking for. Uh, in Hawaii. And if that happens to cross your plate, awesome. If it's within your strike zone, you know, move on it. But it's not the end of the world if you don't buy in Hawaii because you've got no downside living in the barracks, like nothing. You're not even going to be paying rent. So it's, it's you know, there's there's no downside if you don't find a deal there. There's no downside anyway if you don't find a deal. But I'd be focusing on the Florida market if that's your long-term angle, personally. Got it. Yeah, just one thing that um, I keep thinking about is, um, you know, like you said, like, I lack patience and like, I'm pretty like aware of that. But um, the reason I want to get started as soon as possible is just from, cause I know the first one, it might not be the best one. It might not be the perfect one. Also, you know, just don't get caught up in trying to find the perfect, you know, freaking deal. But then um, I feel like the first one is going to be, you know, the one where I get guided through and I'm going to learn the most from. I'm going to get super familiar. going to see how it goes like each step. And then I feel like from there, then I'll just like pick up just how this works what I can do um, like on the next one, what I can do better, what what I messed up on, and then just things that I can just like improve on. And then maybe things I could do faster, like close on a house faster and um, just, you know, also get familiar with other markets and things like that. That's why I really want to get started, you know, like as soon as possible. So, you know, just to like, kind of like, you know, set off and just, you know, take it from there. Just yeah, it's just that. finding that blend of like, hey, I want to start right now. And also like, okay, but you don't want to be, you want to be prudent. Yeah. You don't want to just throw money around and you're not even throwing money around. See, this is the problem with debt is it's too easy to oblige yourself to debt. Um, I think, uh, yeah, dude, you're on, you're on the right track. Like you're like, I want to get started ahead of the head of the game. You're ahead of the game. You win. (laughs) Like don't (laughs) you're, you win. You're doing fantastic. I know it doesn't feel that way. It never does. Yeah. It feels like a total head up. Yeah, you're gonna have 10 properties before you know it, and you're like, dude, I'm still behind the game. Yeah, my goal <laughs> was to get one before 2021, but um, you know, realizing how like you know competitive it is right now, and then I'm here, you know, overseas, you know, trying to pick up something in Florida against investors over there that are you know know the market the back of their hand, and I'm just like brand new. So um, yeah, but you're, I feel like it's something trial and error, and just something that you know you learn along the way. But um, when do you move to when do you move to Hawaii? In June, be beginning of June. So about yeah. months from now. It, yeah. Don't get it twisted. You're, you're right though. Network, like once you know the market, like the back of your hand, as soon as you know the market, like the back of your hand, you can make decisions about how to deploy capital fast. So once you have the money lined up and, and you have the, you know, you know the information, then the only thing that, then you just have a decision-making problem, which is not, not so hard. So yeah, learn that market. You'll be all right. You'll figure it out pretty quick, actually. My guess is you'll probably do well there. I'd live in the barracks. I wouldn't buy a house in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> Not unless you have unless you have enough, unless you have more cash than you want to than you know what to do with. That's a good time to buy. When you're like right now, you're like, I'm gonna take out debt so I don't have to spend any cash. Like once you're 
because I know a lot of that's in your equities, but like, say you're sitting here next year and you have $40,000 in cash. That's the time where you're like, okay, now buy a house in Hawaii because I think it's going to go up in value. I have to stack the cash somewhere. I can get some of this equity. But dude, while you live in the barracks, Jesus, come on, that's free money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially if I was able to, um, like if I was in San Diego, if I never got stationed in Japan, let's just say, you know, anywhere in the States, I would have like already been like house hacking. I already like, already been trying to do something like that. But um, I'm glad I got stationed here. You know, I saw it as a learning experience. I got deployed a ton of times. Um, I read a lot of books, things like that. And um, it was like time to just prepare and just time to uh, like get knowledge. And then so once I'm in the actual area, in the environment where I could actually, you know, invest and actually, you know, take action, then I'd be ready and, you know, to just move forward from there. Yeah. And don't get it twisted. Neither Alex or I are saying don't don't invest right like we're, i don't know yeah. alex is a little bit more risk averse than i am but i'm i'm pretty pretty aggressive for the most part as far as jumping out the window but just don't get so eager to jump out of the airplane that you forget to grab a parachute right like you should be running towards the door but make sure you don't don't get so impatient that you buy a deal you shouldn't is is the that's the that's the level there right like push it as fast as you can as hard as you can and, and that's, I think, the key for finding those investors in Florida or in that market is that you can then, if you find two or three people that you know in the area and you find a deal and you think it's the one, you can instantly be like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Am I missing anything huge? And if, if you get two or three guys who are like active investors in the area, you don't even need, and I'm not saying send them like a spreadsheet and be like, hey, can you analyze this? But say, this is what I got. Do you see any major red flags? And if you got three like solid investors in the area and all three of them are like, I don't see any major red flags, fucking jump. There's your deal. What's up, guys? Today, I wanted to stop and sponsor my own podcast by myself, which is a little cheesy, to tell you about the course that I'm launching called From Zero to One, Real Estate Investing for Beginners. Now, this is not a course to help you get rich fast. This is not a course to promise you to make a bajillion dollars, but this is the course that will help you get from zero rental properties to one rental property. It is designed to get you through your first purchase. Everything you need to know to get you through that step with support from myself, obviously via email and whatever, so that we can talk and I can help answer some of those questions for you. And it is extremely affordable right now because I'm launching it for only 97 bucks, which given the amount of content in there and the testimonials I got from the people who tested it beforehand, I am super on the low end for that price, but I'm going to probably have to bump it up in a little while but for now to test the waters and see exactly how many people i'm able to help with this i want it to be extremely affordable because i want to help service members and veterans get their feet in the water so if you are interested in learning about rental properties and you just want to learn how to get your first one and then there are some bonus episodes in there to help you advance past that but if you really just want to know everything you need to know to buy your first property without screwing yourself over this is the course for you. Go ahead and check it out. The link will be down below in the show notes and back to your episode. Um, and that's, that's what I did. I mean, I literally bought my 10 unit building was that I had three people who were all super successful investors. And I was like, Hey, this is where I'm at. Did I miss anything major? And they looked at it for like two minutes and they were like, no, nah, I don't see any major red flags. I figured like, all right, if there was something really big, one of them would have caught it. You cool. says, yeah. yeah. That's the power of having yeah. people that know the market. And I'm, I am risk averse. That is true. But, um, I'm mostly speaking about debt, you know, risk yeah. with your cash. It's like, dude, you should be mega risky with your cash. Yep. But with debt, you know, maybe it's because I was in lending, you know, I've seen enough defaults. I've seen, you know, I've seen people, we have to go get stuff back. <laughs> so it happens, you know, it happens in this market. Like people right now, everybody's winning. It doesn't, it looks like you can't lose, but there are people that still, you know, missing payments and default and like people are still stretching. So, um, you have the risk to take the, you, you have the time to take those risks now and make some mistakes. But again, yeah, with the debt, it's like, dude, you, you load up on risks that you can't get out from under and you don't need to. Those are, those are like David said, risk of ruin. Yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. So, um, but right books, now. dude, you said books twice. Like that's the most competitive thing you can do. Yeah. So probably, um, my favorite book that really like, started everything and um got me in the right mindset was probably um it's called it's by tony robbins uh, money master the game 
I also read like all the bigger pockets books, you know, all those, all those are really good. And um, but that's probably the one that, you know, um, helped me like take off and um, give me the right mindset to um, like find assets and then, you know, get rid of liabilities right now. Right on. All right. So probably going to wrap this up here in a minute. Um, there's a couple questions I always ask people, but you're pretty new to the game. So I'm going to try to frame it a little bit differently. The first one I normally ask, well, the second one I normally ask is resources. I think you just mentioned a few. So um, I, my first, I guess the question, the way that I would frame it is, I mean, you're 21 and you've done very well as far as saving money, um, investing, you know, what would you tell one of your peers who's looking to just get started in finance? I mean, you, you've mentioned money master the game, but you know, what are some other things that you would say, like, what is the first two or three things that you think every service member should do or, or your friends should be doing if that they're not? So I understand that not everyone would be like me. Not everyone is the same. Not everyone's going to be able to, um, you know, be willing to take the same risks, same sacrifices, but, um, to just find that balance, you know, if you want to go do stuff on the weekends, just, um, finding, finding the balance, you know, with your, with your paychecks, you know, paying yourself first, you know, before you buy anything, things like that. Um, having your money into your TSP, having that dialed in, like I said, and, um, just having it, being in the mindset to, you know, live like no one right now to live like no one later and to just, um, I'm really big on buying your time to, you know, utilize your time, utilize your money right now to free up time and free up money later. So that, that's something um, like I wouldn't definitely um, like give advice to someone where to think about like, you know, whatever you put your time towards right now, that's going to free up your time later. If you want to get out of the Navy, you want to get out um, and just, you know, pursue a career, you know, buying assets that are going to free up your time once you get out and then you can pursue whatever career you want to do and um becoming knowledgeable and then finding that career that you want to do and just go all out and then you know just find your passion that's what i would say your mindset is so good yeah Uh, it's mostly it's mostly you're repeating mostly somebody else's platitudes but still good yeah it's something that are you going to talk about distinct animals now to live off from extinct animals (laughs) David, you're so quiet. Turn your mic up. (laughs) I was just making a bad joke. I said, why you got to talk about extinct animals? Nobody knows what platitudes means on this freaking podcast. They're probably thinking of the stupid platypus. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of my goals, though, to, um, so I have two years, about two years, three months left in my contract. I want to get out. I'll be 23. Um, I'm I'm really undecided if I want to stay in or not. You know, if I, if I do want to stay in, I would love to commission the Marine Corps. And, um, you know, go to OCS, do all that. I'll have my degree done next year. That's something I've been putting a lot of my time towards, you know, because that's going to, if I do want to get out, if I want to stay in, you know, getting my degree is going to help go to OCS. It's also going to help if I stay, if I want to get out. Yeah. So I'll be able to, um, you know, work more towards on other things. And, um, yeah, my goal is to um, get out of the Navy. If I do get out, like I said, is to buy assets, buy real estate. That's going to match my base pay. So then I have my bases covered when I get out. So just living off, um, rental income as like a base in about two and a half years. Nice. All right. So I do have one piece of parting advice and then we'll see if there's any questions we, we missed here, but people are going to listen to the show, right? And they're going to be people who hear that you have a net worth or, or, or are doing all right. I would like to think that the listeners of this show are not the type. But as with someone who wins the lottery, people will come out of the woodwork with great ideas for your money. Whether that's they, want to, they know you and they want to borrow something or they've got something to sell you or a product you need, whether it's finance or not, or their idea of investing or not. So I think the last thing I would say is stick to your guns on what you know. And what you're investing in, don't get sucked into someone else's shiny object syndrome with your money. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rush into anything you don't understand as an investment. And I say that just as a cautionary tale because I've seen people come in with millions of ideas, especially right now. There's the whole world is uh, cryptocurrency, Tesla stock expert person, right? Yeah. And they're convinced that because they won over the last year, you can only win. And it's a scary spot to be in. So just make sure you know who you're taking advice from and, and what you're getting into and stick to your guns. And I think that's 
I, I would say that's for anyone and everyone, but especially because there's a chance that someone listening to this podcast can be like, Ooh, here's a guy who needs something to do with his capital. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> exactly. Ho- hopefully not. So if you're listening to the show and that's you, then uh, unsubscribe, dislike. <laughs> no, but yeah, totally get it. Understood. I'm already, I'm already there. Did we miss anything? You got any last questions before we uh, wrap it up? Just, um, I just want to ask you, so what do you, what do you think would be the best way to approach if I want to buy in Hawaii in three months? What do you think would be, what should I do right now other than getting in contact with the right people like you referred to me? What should I be doing right now to um, get ready to do that? Well, if you have no debt, then that's a huge piece, right? Because your debt to income ratio can't really, that's the biggest piece to increase in that. Yeah. I would probably just be saving the money that you can use as, as reserves and keeping an eye on what the market's doing and just staying in touch with exactly what you want to buy. Uh, I mean, there's not, so, so you asked earlier about income, but even if you found a side hustle to make extra income every month, a lender's not going to be able to count it towards your income side because it wasn't on your tax return last year and it won't be able to be wrapped into on that side. So while it will help if you earn extra income because you'll have a larger reserves, it won't necessarily help with how much of a loan you're going to qualify before because there's no way to show that that was stable or going to be something you continue earning. So I don't know that I would work a million hours a week for extra cash, except for like on the reserve side. I would probably just focus on kind of learning the market and look, looking through properties and learning what you're looking for and then setting up a couple automated, uh, you know, like, hey, this is what I want. Can you send me deals that come across that look like this? And, and same thing, I'd probably touch base with some wholesalers. And I, I got some... Hit me up after I got some investor group like meetups and stuff that I know out there from when I used to host one. Is there's some people out there that are really solid investors that can connect you with that uh, you know can kind of give you some pointers too. But that's probably what I would be doing. Um, mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of ways you can like really jack up your income meaningfully enough that it'll help your debt to income ratio. And if you have no debt, then you know, so basically just stacking reserves and learning, uh, gaining on the knowledge side is what I'd be focusing on. Got it. So you wouldn't see the BH like not having BH right now. You wouldn't see that as like um, something that would prevent me from getting into a property in Hawaii. Would you see that as something that would prevent me from doing that? Or it'll it will cap out your high end for what you would qualify for in a loan. That's where it'll hurt you. It'll it'll you know you're not going to qualify for a two million dollar loan with uh, not that you would anyway. But um, it'll 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 limit the income side and limit how much you'll be able to qualify for a loan, but it won't stop you from getting into a property. So because you've got reserves and stuff, you'd still be able to buy. You just might not have the same price point that you would have if you were getting the extra 3000 a month and, you know, tax exempt BAH. Understood. Got it. Sounds good to me. Where can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out and ask questions? There are a ton of people listening to the show who are nowhere near as far along as you and are like, oh my God, that Eric, that Eric dude is awesome. I want to learn his ways. And so they're going to reach out. You just look me up on Facebook, just Eric Alvarez, E-R-I-C-A-L-V-A-R-E-Z. And then I'm also on Instagram. Let me pull up my, my username really quick. And um, those are the two ways people can reach out to me. And um, so it's Alexander underscore 187. So Alex and then Z A N D R underscore one eight seven. That's pretty much it. You know another guy who uses Xander. <laughs> yeah, it's my middle name. And Alexander's first name, Alexander Felice. Yeah, but he uses you use the Z on something, don't you, Alex? Am I losing my mind? You used to. You what? Never mind. Maybe I'm losing my mind. All right. Dude, your mic is too low. I think he's telling you. I apologize. I feel like getting quieter. I don't understand. I cranked the gain. All right, whatever. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. So this is fun for me because it's, I mean, it's, we, we hear people talk about what they've done, which is cool, but it's so much more fun to like have actual questions with someone who's trying to yeah. learn and work on their finances. I had a lot of fun doing this. I'm glad. This is all Alex's idea so he can have all the credit for putting out that we should have some newer investors on the show. So um, just in case his ego is hurting. Thank you. Dude, this is great. Your mindset, your, um, your enthusiasm is mega high, which I love. And, um, and that's gotten you basically uh, it's gotten you quite far, which is impressive. And you don't seem like you don't hang out with knuckleheads, which is really good. 
Yeah. And it was great to have somebody on who's actually had some success, but none in real estate yet. So you're like in a really interesting position where you, you have all the tools to do real estate. Now you're running into, um, see, I had the opposite problem when I started, I had no resources, but I was willing to put the time in and like learn the intricacies of the market. Once you do that, you're going to be unstoppable. It's just a matter of time. It just takes a little bit of time. Exactly. And just once I'm in the right environment and once I'm, like I said, um, somewhere where I, I could take action, where I could actually, you know, reach out to people, use resources and, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm like, if I do get out of the Navy, I'm ready to go head first in real estate. I'm, I'm stoked. I'm just excited. <laughs> You're going to do good. This is yeah. fun. We're so glad you came on. No, absolutely. Stay in touch. This is going to be fun to watch. Good, good stuff, yeah, man. Hopefully we could do another one in the future. Heck yeah. Okay. Now you got to get back to work. Shot. <laughs> No, now, but, uh, now he's got to get back to work. Yeah, yeah I'll go back to work now, unfortunately. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.